want to start by just sharing a story from, from my childhood. Um, so my parents actually tell me this story. I, d- I don't remember it per se, but they tell a story about when I was three or four years old and I was uh, learning to, to ride a bike. So when you learn to ride a bike, you start out on training wheels. And I was in the training wheels phase, but apparently I was pretty uh, excited about going from the training wheels phase to the actual non-training wheels phase. And so I asked my parents, hey, will you take the training wheels off the bike? And I made it abundantly clear when they did that, that I wanted zero help from them in learning how to ride the bike by myself without training wheels. You can ask my parents, they were like, you did not want us touching you. You did not want us touching the bike. You very very clearly stated, this is something that you wanted to learn on your own. Well, I was an overachiever. What can I say? I learned to ride the bike by myself pretty quickly. But what I discovered was this is not just something that was true about me. I never, I never quite understood this story because the, like, the logical type A person that I am now was like, why would I have not wanted your help? Like, Why would I have not wanted your instruction? And then this moment came and I had kids myself. I was like, ah, I get it. I understand what was happening then. I, I became really fascinated pretty early on with my two kids, uh, Ike and Grace, they're, they're four and they're two, with this, this desire for them to be self-sufficient, this desire for them to be self-reliant. I would quickly discovered whenever they were learning a new skill, whatever it was, whether it was learning how to walk or learning how to feed themselves, which my goodness, uh, learning how to dress themselves. They, they made it pretty obvious very early on, whether it was verbal or nonverbal cues, like, hey, this is something that I wanna do by myself. They didn't want anybody else, me or Keila, helping them. And I was like, hmm, this sounds familiar. This sounds like a familiar story that my parents have told me about myself. Now, we can kind of laugh like it, like this kind of funny story about little kids wanting to feed themselves or learn to ride the bike by themselves. But here's what I've discovered, at least in my own life, and maybe this is true about you, is this this trait doesn't go away. Um, This desire to be self-sufficient, this desire to be self-reliant isn't just something from childhood. It's actually kind of a trait that we bring along with us. Now, in some ways, this is good, right? Like we don't want help for the entirety of our lives, like getting dressed or being fed. Like this is, there's some parts of this that are actually good. But I think this, this kind of desire to be self-sufficient, this de- desire to be self-reliant, what it can end up doing is bleeding over into every single area of our life, not just in healthy ways, but in some unhealthy ways. See, you have to realize we've been discipled kind of by this Western mindset to live in such a way that says, hey, in order to be successful, you have to kind of figure out how to do it on your own. You have to be self-sufficient without help from others in order to be successful. And so while each individual is responsible and accountable for their own actions in life, no one, and I repeat, no one can be truly self-sufficient except God himself. No one is sufficient enough. 
No one has enough resources to walk in the abundance of life which God has invited us into because ultimately, and here's what I'm arguing today, we are called and designed to trust in his sufficiency for us. We are designed for his provision. We are designed to walk in his ways. The abundant life that we were made for, the abundant life in him that we were called to, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. In fact, this is the way that God designed it. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to look to him, to lean on him for everything and every part of who we are. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long in life to figure out that you can't do it all. Some of you are like, this is, this is new news to me this morning. I can't, I can't do it all. What are you talking about? You can't be it all. You don't have enough strength on your own. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough willpower. No matter how much willpower you think you have to overcome whatever it is you need to overcome, you do not have enough in and of yourself. You don't have everything that you need in and of yourself, but we serve a God who does. We serve a God who is sufficient. Everything that you could ever want or everything that you could ever need is found in him and him alone. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series this fall where we are looking at the just indescribable characteristics of God. We're looking at who God is and, and what God is like. And we, we stated in that first week, who God is and what God is like is the most important question that we can answer for ourselves. I, I said in that first week, I said, hey, who God is in your mind and what he's like in your heart will determine the trajectory for the rest of your life. It is the most important thing about you. So that's why we're spending an entire fall looking at who God is and what God is like. Now we're rooting this series in Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven. You're like, why this random passage in Exodus? Well, this is the passage where God himself describes himself for the very first time. This passage is looked back to time and time again throughout the entirety of the rest of scripture. Exodus 34, six and seven, where God himself speaking to Moses describes who he is in heart. And I actually wanna invite us to read this out loud together this morning. And so we're gonna read it out loud. My hope is by the end of this series is it like we know this passage. We've memorized this passage. This passage is just a part of who we are as a church family. And so let's read this out loud together, uh, starting in verse six. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. This is the word of God out of Exodus 34. Now, we're taking a few weeks and we are simply honing in on God's name, Yahweh, 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I kind of packed the significance of God's name. And what we're doing is we're just looking at God's limitless nature. So in his name, in his name alone, we begin to understand just the limitless nature of who God is. So a few weeks ago, we looked at the fact that God is in fact eternal. Uh, two weeks ago, Brandon looked at the fact that God is all-knowing. This week, we're looking at the fact that Yahweh God is all-sufficient. God is sufficient. Now, what does this mean? Like, this is not really something we say very often. Oh, God is sufficient. So what do I mean when I say, okay, God is all sufficient? Well, by definition, for those of you that are like, I really need to write this down. By definition, to be sufficient is to have enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. So to be sufficient is to have enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. And to be able to meet any need, to be able to accomplish any goal, requires a couple of things, resources and abilities. Resources and abilities. So when I say, hey, God is sufficient, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has the abilities and the resources to meet any need and accomplish any goal. God has the resources and abilities to meet any need and accomplish any goal. But here's the thing about the sufficiency of God. It goes even beyond that. When I say God is sufficient, I mean he's not lacking in anything or any way. He has everything that he needs in and of himself. He has it all. In him and by him. In God, everything finds its meaning, everything finds its purpose, everything finds its life in him. Now this starts, this starts with God himself. And this is kind of the first point that I wanna make if you're taking notes. God is self-sufficient. So if it starts with God himself, it's important to understand that God himself is self-sufficient. It is simply who he is in his nature. He is the only one who has been and he is the only one who ever will be sufficient. I'll tell you what, let's take a look at this idea in scripture. Genesis chapter one, verse one, going back to the very beginning. If you got your Bibles there, it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So very first line of this story, we are introduced to the main character. And the main character obviously is God. And the fact of how it starts tell us a lot, tells us a lot simply about just who he is. In the beginning, God. So before anyone else was, there was God, creator God, Yahweh God, perfectly sufficient in and of himself. He did not need anything or anyone. There was no one and there is nothing sustaining his life. So in order to be all sufficient, right, in order to be able to supply every need, to meet every person, he first has to be self-sufficient. But it doesn't just stop there. It says, in the beginning, God created, right? In the beginning, God created. So not only was God there before anything, before any other being, but through him, all creation flowed. So the rest of Genesis 1 tells us he actually spoke creation into existence. Where did creation come from? God. 
Where did God come from? He was there. He was there before the creation of the first thing or the first being. So Yahweh God is the creator of all things, but himself was not created. He simply was. He's self-sufficient. Now, if you remember from three weeks ago, we looked at Exodus chapter three, where God tells us about himself. He says, I am who I am. He gives us his name. He says, I am who I am. Now, the cool thing about Hebrew is this can be translated a number of different ways. So we looked at the fact that I am who I am reveals God's eternality. But this can be translated actually, I exist because I exist. So I am who I am can be translated, I exist because I exist. So not only is God eternal in nature, I am who I am, but God is sufficient in nature. Like he exists because he exists. Now he could have existed forever in perfect, in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, like with himself, the triune God. No mess, no problems, no sin. Like this, this, this was a possibility. But this isn't how the story goes, right? It doesn't end with, hey, in the beginning, God, period. Great story. No, in the beginning, God created. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars. He creates the vegetation. He creates the sky and the seas and the animals. And then we get to like the pinnacle of creation. We get to this, this moment that he's really excited about where he creates me and you, where he creates humanity. He creates us. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter one. It's too beautiful not to read it. So God, in this moment, chose to create. He chose to create, which is point number two. God chooses us. Verse 26, Genesis chapter one, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creature that moves along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So number one, God is self-sufficient. Number two, God chooses us. He not only chooses us, not only chooses to create us, but he chooses to create us in his own image. So we're not just some like random piece of creation. We've been given our identity. We've been given our place of belonging in him. It's like he was saying from the very beginning, he says, hey, you're gonna be my sons. You're gonna be my daughters. This, this is who you're going to be. My kids, Ike and Grace, are literally made in my image. They have, they have a piece of my DNA. They resemble, they look like Kila and I. And we have been chosen by God. We have been created by God. But we haven't just been created by God. We're not just some random piece of creation. We've been created in his own image. Do you understand the weight and the significance of this? He wasn't creating us just because he was bored. He wasn't creating us simply because he needed us. 
He wasn't running out of options. He is the all-sufficient God who chose to create us and chose to create us in his image, in his likeness. Do you understand the weight and the significance of what Genesis tells us here? But it's not just that he chooses to create us. He desires to partner with us and to provide for us. It's not just, hey, I'm gonna create you and then I'm gone. If you're taking notes, this is point number three. He partners and he provides. So number one, God is self-sufficient. Number two, he chooses us. And number three, he partners with us and he provides for us. So God doesn't just simply create humanity, right? And then kind of peace out. That's not how the story goes. Instead, what he does is he gives them a role to play in creation. To partner with him. To partner with him in ruling over the rest of creation. Now we see this ideal picture, like God's ideal picture in Genesis chapter two where God and humanity are partnering together in the garden. And it's in this place, it's in the garden where God says, hey, I'm gonna provide for you everything that you need. Everything that you need, I'm going to provide. Here it is. We get this picture very early on of an all-sufficient God who desires to provide for his kids. Everything that Adam and Eve could have ever needed Everything they could have ever wanted was there, operating in perfect harmony with God. Now the problem comes in Genesis chapter three, where humanity is deceived by Satan. Where we as humans decide, okay, who God is and what God has provided and what God has said isn't quite sufficient. They start to doubt the sufficiency of God. God said, hey, I want you to trust me. I am sufficient for you. I will provide for you. My ways are good, right? We said, hey, no thanks. We'll trust ourselves. Our way is better. Does this sound familiar? And from that moment on, from that moment forward, God has been inviting us back to the life that we were made for. God has been calling back to us those very same words, to you, to me, to each and every one of us. Hey, I want you to trust me. I am sufficient. My ways, my ways are good. In me and through me, you have everything that you could ever need or want. The question is, and the question I'm asking this morning is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? And if we believe it, do our lives reflect it? That he indeed is sufficient for us. That his ways indeed are the good ways. Now we look to scripture and you, and you, can, you can go all throughout the entire story of who God is and you will see that he promises to be our sufficiency and to supply our every need. And we have this choice to make. This, this just daily choice to make to trust him at his word, to believe him at his word, or to trust in other people and other things of this world to provide before him. See, in his word, he both proves us and he tells us that we can rely on him no matter what, no matter our abilities, no matter our circumstances, no matter our status, 
no matter our resources, we can rely on him. He is sufficient. Now you can look and you can see example after example. I wanna just give a few. We were looking uh, a few weeks back at Moses in Exodus 3, this moment where God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to be the one to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. And God's response is, I mean, Moses' response is basically like, I can't do it. There's no way. I'm not a good speaker. Like, I don't have the ability. Like, there is no way that I can do this, God. Rest of the story goes on. What do we see? the sufficiency of God to provide for Moses in ways he never could have fathomed or imagined. The story goes on with the Israelites as they're escaping. They get to this moment, Pharaoh has actually let them go. They're at the Red Sea, they're free. And they're like, there's, there's water in our way and there's an army on our heels. What are we gonna do? The Israelite people, the people of God are freaking out. Moses, at this point, he's kind of caught on. He's like, I've seen this before something I didn't think he could do. There was no way and he made a way. So I'm gonna trust in the sufficiency of God in this moment. What happens? God using Moses parts the Red Sea, brings them to safety. Over and over and over again in scripture, you see a God who has the ability to meet any need, to overcome any obstacle, to come through in any situation for any person at any time in any way that he chooses. You got the Israelites, once again, they're disobedient. They go against God and they find themselves in 40 years of wandering. They're in the desert and they're hungry. What does God do? The, the very ones who were disobedient to him, the very ones who did not trust him, what does he do? He provides for them bread, manna from heaven for 40 years. For 40 years, he gave them exactly what they needed. For 40 years, think about someone literally providing food for you for 40 years. Not on your own volition, you never had to cook food. For 40 years in the desert, he provides. Example after example where God provides for his people. Why? Because it's simply who he is. Now, this continues with Jesus and his ministry. It doesn't stop with, with Yahweh God of the Old Testament. It continues with Yahweh God, Jesus, and the New Testament. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Hey, Jesus, all we have is a few loaves of bread and a few fish. There's no way we can feed all these people. What happens? They're fed and there's some left over. He heals the blind. He calms the storm. Jesus, over and over and over again, both by his example and by his words, he's inviting us to trust in the faithfulness and the provision of the Father, which brings up my last point, number four. Jesus reminds us. Jesus reminds us that our heavenly Father is a faithful God who can provide and meet every single need. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says this, Matthew chapter six, verse 25, Listen to these words. Listen with me. Jesus says, he says, therefore I tell you, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Hey, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow. They do not reap. 
They do not store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can you, any one of you, add an hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? You see the flowers of the field? They do not labor. They do not spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed was not dressed more beautifully than one of these. If that is how God chooses to clothe the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father Listen to this, your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is reminding us of the father's sufficiency, his faithfulness, his provision that is available to each and every one who will turn to him. Now he goes on in this sermon and he says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Listen to this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? Jesus, who is God, knows the Father better than anyone. And he's calling us, he's, he's inviting us back into the very life that we were made for. He's calling out with this very same word saying, hey, trust me, my ways are sufficient. My ways are good, I will provide. In me and through me, you have everything that you could ever need. Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, kind of says this very famous prayer that a lot of us probably know, reminding us of the trust that we are to have in him. How does it go? It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says this, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Would Jesus teach a prayer that he didn't want to answer? Would Jesus invite us into a prayer he didn't want to respond to? I don't think so. Now, there's a lot of places in the world that are lacking, but our God is not one of them. He is trustworthy. And I promise he can provide no matter the circumstances, no matter the resources, no matter what's at your disposal, he can come through because at his, disposable, at his disposal is every resource in the world. Our father is not lacking. Our father is sufficient. So we have a father who not only knows us like we talked about a few weeks ago, but we have a father who wants to provide for us in can. A father who wants to provide for us and can. It's not like he knows what we need 
and then can't provide it. It's not like we have a God who's saying, oh man, I, I, I know you need peace, but I'm, I'm kind of out. We don't have a father who says, hey, I, I know that you need forgiveness, but I, I don't have the ability to forgive. He's not saying, hey, I know you need patience, but I'll tell you what, I, I don't have the resources or the ability to provide you the patience that you need. That's not who our God is. He says, peace? You need peace? I, I'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. Forgiveness? You need forgiveness? Oh, I have a well of grace that will never run dry. Patience? You're looking for patience to love that neighbor, to serve that coworker, to love that spouse, to love that roommate, to disciple your kids even when it's hard. Oh, I have, I have more patience than you know what to deal with. If, if you will come, if you will come to me, if you will rely on me, if you will stop operating out of your own strength and own power, if you will let go of your self-sufficient, self-reliant ways, I will provide. I will lead you into the abundant life that you were made for. The question is, Will we trust him? Will we rely on him? Will we lean on his understanding more than we lean on our own understanding? Will we lean on his strength more than we lean on our own strength? Will we go to his word more than we go to our own words or the words of those around us? Because something beautiful happens when we do. He says, I will meet your every need in and above any expectation that you could ever match. I'm so grateful that Jesus, he, he gives us this reminder each and every week. He gives us this reminder when we come to the bread and we come to the juice. It's, it's this reminder that, hey, you cannot do it on your own. You do not have enough. But guess what? I do. I am sufficient. You need peace. I will provide it. You need power. I will come through. You need this, I am there. That is simply who our God is. And we come to him each and every week to take this bread and drink this cup and remind ourselves we can't do it on our own, but he can. He can who is greater. He can who is more. He can who is the all-sufficient God who has more resources at his disposal than we could ever fathom or imagine. And it's with that hope, it's with that desire we come to the bread and the cup. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful for this truth that, that you are more powerful, greater, loving than we could ever fathom or imagine. And that you as our God, as our Father, uh, you're, you're, you're pleased to meet our needs. You're, you're, you're longing for us to come back to you. You're longing for us to, to pray to you. You're longing for us to need you. And so God, I, I just ask that we would just surrender this morning. Each and every one of us would just surrender our desire to be self-sufficient, 
self-reliant people who look to ourselves before we look to you. God, I'll be the first to say I cannot do it on my own. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough power. I can't do it. I need you. So as a body, as your church, we say, hey, we need you. We can't do it on our own. So will you come and will you remind us of the sufficiency we have in you? That everything we could ever need, everything that we could ever want is in you, God. And as we break the bread and as we take the cup, will you remind us of this truth? Will you bury this truth deep within our heart? Yeah, Father, we love you. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.